Welcome back to Vintage and Stuff, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. I have Noodle Drips. Nicole of Noodle Drips on the show today. We're calling this the Nike episode, guys. We get into all kinds of good Nike info, mainly focused on this minimalist late 90s, early 2000s movement that's happening with Nike right now, small check, center swoosh, all the craziness, prices going wild, rare colorways, what tags to look out for. We cover it all. She's a member of the LGBTQ community. Uh, we talk about that and how that relates to her in the vintage world. Um, talk about all kinds of good shit, where she came from, where she is now, her marketing career. Uh, it's a great episode. I listened to the last episode with Juna. Great episode, by the way. Um, but I realized that I went on and on and on in the intro forever. So I'm going to keep this intro short. Let you guys get into this episode with Nicole of Noodle Drips. Thank you for tuning in. If you want to support the show, click on the Patreon link down below. Share it with your friends, guys. Go share this to your Facebook. Share it to your Instagram stories. Tag me. I'll repost. Mad love as always. Without further ado, here we go. you for coming on vintage and stuff i appreciate it totally. i i first heard of you from sean who's my employee i don't know if you know him Av avantini his ig is avantini shop he's always in the lives he watches your lives i think oh yeah 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 i i know i know his um account yeah so he was heavy toting you as the nike queen Ooh. Which uh, put you on the map for me. And obviously, sure. as of late, Nike's been going crazy and you're like totally. right in the middle of it. So I'm stoked to chop it up with you. And this is the Nike episode. Hell yeah, let's go. I'm excited to talk about it. It's super Sweet. fun. Uh, so AKA Noodle Drip. Um, yep. Yeah, super stoked to have you on the show. This is rad. So you want to like, let's get back to the beginning here. So you told okay. me your vintage endeavors started september 2020 which yep. is basically still smack dab kind of at the early days of the pandemic i mean mid mid first year of the pandemic yep yeah <laughs> um so yeah give, give us a lowdown like how did you get in how what inspired you to get in like what was that like um and all that good stuff yeah so it's kind of weird because when i tapped into vintage last september it was kind of on the tail end, at least of like the pandemic really being at its like highest. Yeah. And so I was I was working a nine to five. I'm still working a nine to five. And I wanted to start an Instagram to showcase my personal Nike collection. So at the time, it was like four pieces. It was like nothing, nothing crazy. And 
I really wanted to get into the community, like the vintage community by creating an Instagram page separate from my personal account. And so I just thought of noodle drips. I don't know. It just like came to my head and I was posting just my personal pieces just to kind of showcase. It was really for my friends and family, like to be like, Hey, I I like doing this on the side. Like I like clothes a lot. I want to show what I have to them. And then as I started, I just naturally opened up and found that there was this huge community within vintage and so many different genres and so many different avenues of the community. And so that was in September. And then I honestly, when I, when I talk about this, I don't even know like when the switch happened or it became something a little bit more than that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always liked clothes. I've always liked fashion. Um, I kind of got into thrifting in college Um, and so I knew all the reselling platforms for clothing. And so I would find pieces on there that were affordable, like 40, 50 bucks. Um, were you thrifting? So you were obviously thrifting previous to starting your noodle drips page. Yes. Yes. So in call, I went to school in Washington, DC. So the thrifts in the DMV area are really, they're huge. You can find so much stuff. And so I had a lot of local friends that lived in Maryland, Virginia, that showed me like the spots they like to go to growing up. Yeah. Um, so that's really how I tapped into knowing which thrifts to go to, where to look, what to look for. I, you know, I, I naturally started picking up on like age tag, single stitch, all of that as I was thrifting. Um, but specifically for me, obviously I was really into Nike. So that's why I was going on those platforms consistently looking for specific pieces that I really wanted to add to build my collection. And what, what were those pieces? You know, I know, I, I know what you yeah. wear now. I see what's on your yeah. IG, of course. Yeah. But like in those early days of you kind of having an affinity towards Nike, what was it about it that brought you there? Yeah. Um, so my first piece was a a green Nike tonal crew neck on the nineties, like spell out tag. And I got that in March 20, like right when COVID started and I bought it online. And then my collection grew to like four pieces. I had red, green, gray, and like the pistachio green. And what drew me to Nike was growing up, I, uh, I played basketball. So being in an athletic background, I mean, I was just, I guess with basketball specifically, I just loved the brand. It was like the only brand I knew. It was kind of like, well, if you don't wear Nike, like you're kind of like a loser. So (laughs) um, I think that's what drew me to the brand at least. And then as I got older, I was like the quality of some modern Nike stuff isn't as good. Like it's really expensive for what it is that you're buying. Um, And so once I knew kind of the general gist of vintage and like starting to hit the thrifts and I was like, well, if I already really like Nike and I've always had kind of a drawn, a draw to crewnecks cause I like, it's like a t-shirt, but like baggier and more comfy. So I always liked those. And I thought you can like style them up really well too. So I was like, why don't I just start looking for old Nike crewnecks? And yeah. that's just kind of how it happened. The crewneck is underrated. Obviously Nike's, yeah. Nike's getting its shine right now. Yeah, uh, I've always been a crew neck guy and I, you know, we sell crew necks great. Our shops sell them great. Like, they yeah, sell, and people don't like in this hype community don't really mess with them, you know? No, I think they're just 
you you really can like you can dress up a hoodie but i think a crew neck you can do a lot more with it like you can layer it differently and you can tuck it into your jeans i love to do a tuck like i just think like there's when, so many different- when when you look at the history of sweatshirts obviously hoodies were around crew neck came first hoodies came after but then like even through the ages like the last hundred years there's just way more crew necks out there than hoodies you know and hoodie 100%. was more of like a originally like a sideline warm-up where like in the cold right. ball when you're playing a sports game when you're waiting right. to get on the field right yeah so it's interesting so i gotta show you this piece that i wore today in honor this is a no, nike crew neck. this is dead stock i'm actually wearing it with tags i can't undead stock what? i just because this was in the warehouse but check this out Fire. this is made short sleeve oh yeah i've seen i've seen those and i always was like these aren't cut because of how crisp the yeah, like, is. it's got a surge line, right? And we got that this. We got this. Jess, my brother Jesse, my partner, mm-hmm. he was at recently in New York City, and one of our homies brought us to like a, an old spot there. And there still is dead stock of this era out there, right? So this is like yeah. recent pickup dead stock short sleeve, which is rare. Which obviously that's why it's still in the store because it probably didn't sell as well as the long sleeve. Right. but that is so sweet i think it's fucking high so hell yeah (laughs) um i want to get back in i want to get way more deep into the nike talks but let's uh let's discuss like your so you you do have a day job this is your side hustle i'll say for lack of a better term (laughs) yeah um so what's your day job you told me it's marketing can you like give us the rundown on that yeah so um I, my degree was in marketing I graduated college in 2019 and so I got a job right out of college at a national accounting firm and I do marketing for them it's very traditional marketing um, advertising branding on a smaller scale the accounting industry isn't that big I'm not like part of a big four accounting firm like the KPMGs and those um, I didn't expect to be in accounting but I've always wanted to be in marketing it kind of like parallels with what I like doing with anything noodle drips related and it's just like always that mindset I'm constantly in like how to better brand yourself and whatever it is that you do um so yeah it's so just when like, you say traditional marketing yeah give, run us through some of those old school marketing methods that people today would be like what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah it's a lot of like it's a lot of spreadsheets it's a lot of it's a lot of like person to person interaction. It's just like, you need to know how to communicate with others. You just need to know how to manage people that are like higher than you. Um, So yeah, a lot of spreadsheets doing budgeting every year for the firm. Um, Like I'm, I'm in charge of a specific industry. So our financial services niche is what we call it. Um, So the services we provide tax audit and advisory with um, the firm, I do all of the marketing tactics for that specific industry. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, sounds like you're deep in it. So, you <laughs> yeah. actually handle the, like, do you work on marketing deliverables for this brand or this company? Yeah. Or, okay. So, what kind of deliverable stuff are you doing for them? So, we do a lot of digital, we call them just like fact sheets, one sheets. So, I will kind of put out all the content and come up with the verbiage for those one sheets that advertise what we do service-wise. So let's say we do, we'll audit you, whatever, within financial services. And people need to outsource that service. So we will provide that. And so 
I'll kind of draft the verbiage, put together the like key people in that service that should be branded on the one sheet. And then we have a creative team that kind of makes it look pretty and withemizes it. The company's called Withem. And yeah, so it's a lot of that. It's like fine. It's good. It's good experience. And for sure. For sure. I, mean, I don't I've, hate it. So that's awesome. I say this all the time, but I think of myself as a marketer more than like a vintage head. I mean, it's right. equally vintage head marketer because we all yeah. have to be marketers if we're going to sell some product, right? Totally. We're not just finding the shit. We got to sell it. And marketing right. is your ability to get something to the user, right? The end user. Right. Um, so what, what through like your, your job and your education, have you been able to like take over to your noodle drip and what you're doing now? Honestly, I think the biggest, it's two things. The, the first being you need to like learn and fully grasp how to utilize social. Like that is key. If you're going to do anything in marketing related or really anything you want to go about, if it's business related by any means, you need to know how to like work every social platform. You have to adapt to new platforms that might come out like TikTok. I'm not a TikToker, but like it's something people are using. So you kind of just got to get on the train and start doing it and play with it and learn your way on how to promote yourself and your brand on there. Um, So I think that's one thing. And I mean, for me, it was nice growing up in an era where like my first 14 years of life, I didn't really have social. And then it came in when I was in high school, like Instagram started being a big thing. Yeah. And so naturally anybody, I'm 24, anybody like in my age range, we just ne- knew how to utilize the platform and we were there through every new change of it. And so when it came to like getting a job or interviewing for a job or doing internships, blah, 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 throughout college. That was something where businesses were putting money to hire people to do those skills within social media. Whereas people our age usually just like, it just makes sense. We know how to do it. We know what works. We know what doesn't work. Um, Which is so interesting to think from the difference of my era, like you're getting told by your parents like quit wasting your time on instagram what yeah. the fuck are you doing and then yes. then you're like well this fortune 500 company is going to pay me like six figure salary to right. sit there on instagram all day like exactly. those things are valuable not that i'm saying everyone should spend their whole day on instagram all day but right. like those skills are something that people are paying for and now big time on tiktok like if you can crush yeah. it on tiktok brands are paying for that exactly exactly yeah so I mean, I get it. Like, so like people like my parents, like they, they don't get it and they think it's like a waste of time or it's not a real skill. Like, oh, you couldn't do that for like a business, whatever, but you just got to go with the times, whatever's, whatever's happening, whatever's coming in new within um, the business world. You just gotta, just gotta do it and the trends, whatever it might be. Um, But then I think the other one is just knowing how to communicate with other people. Like you, you just need to have communication skills. You need to know how to interact with others. Cause I mean, I'll always tell people I'm capable of doing that, but then other people will be like, not everyone is capable of doing that, which is true. And I think a big part of like branding and promoting yourself or let's say with noodle drips, once I put a face to my, to my name, people naturally just started levitating towards me and what I was doing. Even if they didn't like Nike, 
even if they don't like boy band tees, whatever, even if they don't, we don't have any interests, if I'm capable of just presenting myself and my being authentic and just like being like, this is what I love and I'm going to love it hard and I'm going to put it out there for people to see, people resonate and relate to that. And I think that that's something a lot of people um, should utilize as a skill in whatever, in whatever their endeavors are. Yeah. The overarching theme of being able to communicate is, yeah. is the most important. And I agree yeah. with that. And I, it's, that's for marketing. That's for management. That is mm-hmm. for anything you're probably going to do in your whole life. Unless you can get a job where you don't speak to anybody and you sit at home all day, like you're going to yeah. need communication. And for, I, 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 I actively work on that. Like I actually right now have a communications coach because okay. I'm like, there's things in my business that I'm like, we got to fix these. Like there's breakdowns. There's like, this is not working. Let's like, let's just become better at communicating. I think it's always something you're working on because nobody's yeah. perfect really. Right. Um, but that is such a good thing to say. And I'm glad you said it on the show. So like, what are, do you have any points about communication that like you've learned that maybe we could help the listeners or like anything specific? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I, I never sat down and took a class. I, I don't have a communications coach. I, maybe I should, or a therapist. I don't know. But um, I think, I don't know. I, I always, I mean, it's cheesy. I always say a lot of my skills come from my background of being in sports, which, a lot, you know, everybody says that. But it's really like if, if I was playing around five, I learned how to work with a team. You have to be a problem solver. If you're going to be a leader, you need to have the right things to say at the right times to say them. And so I think for me, at least it came naturally. But I mean, if anybody wants to better their communication skills, one, you have to practice it and do it. Like, don't just say it and you can't write it down. Like, you actually have to put yourself out there. Yeah. Um, and, and, and for some people that's like super scary. Yes. But then it goes back to like doing things that scare you is uh, going to uh, build those skills, right? And right. you have to like get outside of your head and go do those right. things that scare you. Right. If you're in a bubble of the same thing all over, like all the time, how are you going to know how to, how, you need to meet different people. Like you need to experience new experiences. Like you have to do all of those things. And then over time, I think it'll just, happen yeah totally I, I, I love you know saying what you said about being on a team in sports is super relevant too because you guys when you're on a team I played team sport I didn't play a lot of team sports when I was like after my early teens because I went like skateboarding and snowboarding where you're just doing your own thing pretty much <laughs> right, right but obviously when I was young I played like hockey and soccer and things like that but regardless it's like you you have a team of people that has a goal the goal is to like win the game the goal is to get the ball in the net whatever that is right the ball in the hoop so it's like you have to communicate with that team you all have to be aligned on the goal you have to like work together to accomplish that goal and that basically like when i'm thinking about working with my coach it's kind of very similar it's like we talk about how we're aligning the company through communications to achieve the goals yes for everybody right and right so very similar and you can apply that to anything you can apply that to having a partner you can apply that to your your friendships you can apply that to your family relationships like it all inter it all intertwines like 
wherever you learn that principle and you really perfect that skill, it's going to help you in every avenue of your life. At least I think. Yeah. Oh, you're hundred percent right. Communication is, is very key. Yeah. Um, okay. Changing lanes here. So okay. you are a member of the LGBTQ community. Yes. Okay. Car, it's, it's a mouthful. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a mouthful. This um, way I can't even say it. <laughs> so yeah, that's awesome. And, and like, I see that you're very open about it on your social and, and yep. uh, talking about it. Um, one thing I wanted to, to kind of talk about here is, you know, my best friend is gay. He came out to me when he was probably, I'm thinking like late twenties. Okay. And I was like the first person he told. This is a crazy cool. story. This is like my okay. best friend for life. Sweet. We were in kindergarten together, grew up skateboarding together, snowboarding, lived together, traveled the country together, all these different things. Sweet. Um, I'm, we're 40 or 41, okay. now, 41 now. So okay. he came out, yeah, like I said, in his late 20s, he was seeing a man. And then he, since I was his best friend, he's like, I got to tell you, right? He told me like, mm-hmm. we're like, I'm at a campfire with like a bunch of other friends Classic and he takes, he takes me aside like in the forest <laughs> he's like i gotta tell you something and then we just have to go back to the fire pit like nothing happened right because he's right. like you can't tell anybody until i publicly come out so i had sure. like i was holding that secret for like six months right which is fine and i'm glad that he came to me i was totally chill with it obviously he was so nervous right he was like so crazy nervous and i'm like dude that's fucking rad i'm just glad i want you to be happy like whatever yeah. man it's sweet cool. Um, obviously we're still like super, super tight. Um, but one thing that he had talked to me years later about was that like being gay, you have that, that no, that straight people don't have, like you get to come out. It's like this thing that like you have ownership of and you get to do it in your own way. And, um, you know, I'm sure it's, it's, and it's so different for every person because some people maybe do it when they're like, as like super young or super yeah. old or they're nervous or whatever. So like, what was that like for you? And I don't know if that experience is, is, you know, can you relate to it in that way? Or if you want to talk about your experience? Yeah, totally. Um, and yeah, I appreciate you asking and bringing this up um, on a platform. I think that's really great. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, uh, I came out when I was 18 to my parents and no, great experience my parents uh, they knew like they knew but like you never know like of course as a queer person if you're debating coming out you're gonna be scared and you're never know you have that like I don't know how this is going my mind gonna go in my mind um but my parents they were great about it super supportive um and then kind of like your friend like I only told my parents so I was like, don't tell anybody else. Like, I'm yeah. don't tell the family. I'll do it eventually. Like, let it be on my time. And then a year later, so that was in 2015. And then I told all my friends in 2016. And same thing, very well perceived, which I'm really grateful for. Don't really have any bad experiences. And, you know, again, for that, I'm grateful. Um, but, yeah, I mean it's it's weird it's different for everyone and kind of like touching on how you were saying it's something we kind of own or like it's specific to us having I always think that's interesting because you know you always have people that are gonna say like oh you don't have to talk about it so much like oh come on like we get it we get it but I think it's a matter of like being being a queer person like that is part of who I am 
like I want to be like everybody else I want to blend in well I don't want to blend in but like I want to be I like I wouldn't say I wouldn't wish that on somebody like because you never know the hardship they might go through but at the same time I can't deny I'm not going to put it under the rug like this is who I am and so it does become a big part of everything that I do so it's like a weird debate I guess I don't even know how to word it but yeah um, so I mean I feel that and like you know, it's different for everybody. And um, do you, like, where do you, how do you feel about where America is at this current place with like equality and rights and whatever you want to say about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, that's a good topic too. Um, I mean, I'm young, so I'm blessed in that, like in my upbringing, I never went through any, like being gay was kind of like back in like, I don't know, the early 2000s, like it was, it was cool, but like, it wasn't, it wasn't spoken about as much, but like, it was generally accepted the way that it wasn't like a while, a long time ago, like when my parents were kids, whatever, but that's going to happen over time with like change and whatever, but it's difficult because like, I'm, I'm white. I don't really have any struggles within my ethnic background or anything like that. And being queer, like I, I don't have any issues, but I think there's still a lot of problems with anybody who identifies as queer and is a person of color, whatever their ethnic background is. There's still a lot of um, backlash and hate around those communities. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely better, but I think it, there's still a lot of work to be done. So I think just like you des- using your platforms to talk about these things putting the exposure out there when necessary and in the right way and educating people in the right way, I think is a good start of just continuing to make that wave of change. Yeah. You know, you know, like yeah. you said, it, it is very different. It's definitely gotten better of course, because I can even through my whole high school, like there was nobody openly gay, right. No. Or queer. And that was just something that and I, I feel like there was a couple uh, like we had a, we had a, I remember one suicide in particular and I'm like, I wonder if that was why, mm. because they were super uncomfortable to like, just be themselves and come out. And it's, it's very sad. Right. And then looking at my, my, my homeboy who I just spoke about, he came out in his late twenties and he was like, I knew since I was like fucking 12 or whatever. Right. And you're like, that sucks that you lived that lie for so long because you felt so uncomfortable. And he was scared to come out to like his close friends, like me and right his other friends are friends and you're like you didn't need to be but you are still and it's like a wild thing so yes it has changed where it's it's more accepted uh i think that's great but obviously there's there's um still work to be done still work to be done yeah and i'm i'm happy to talk about it because i think this is the kind of platform we should talk about it and that leads me into my next thing so like within you know vintage now it's funny when i look at cultures and subcultures um like skateboarding when i was a kid skateboarding was like if you skated you could relate to any skater it didn't matter it was just like yo you skate sick i skate let's hang out now it's like skateboarding would be like you're a hash guy you're like an emo guy you're like what or woman or whatever all these subcultures within it are right right and vintage has kind of gotten there now where it's like you know we're talking about one which there's sort of a bit of a nike subculture there's like the there's like the hype vintage hype tea subculture which is the overarching subculture then there's like the true vintage head culture there's always different vintage cultures now. 
uh, communities. And my question is, have you found like an LGBTQ kind of community or people within this vintage space that you like have created maybe some kind of community or just friends with? Uh, are, are you saying just in vintage? Yeah, like within the vintage space, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, a few months ago, like before Pride Month, I wanted to, like I knew a few other queer people within the vintage community just just by meeting them like however I did. And so I was like, hey, like why don't we put together one, a group chat and try to like, do you know other queer people in the community? Let's add them. Like um, if you can ask them before telling me just in case they don't want anybody else to know or they don't publicize it, whatever it might be. Um, so I think there was up to like 15, 16 people within this chat and me and Run It, Run it Clothing, I believe is the account name, um, another um, person in the community, we were like, why don't we do a live specifically for LGBTQ vintage accounts to just not talk about, hey, we're gay, we're here selling clothes. Like we just wanted to provide a platform for those accounts and say, if you're debating where you're spending your money, money, maybe you can have that light click on and be like, maybe I can give my money to a person in the community who is queer. Maybe if they're struggling, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, we don't all talk all the time, but it's still something that we did create. We did like a two day live with pride event for pride month. And awesome. yeah, I just think putting, using your platform to showcase those accounts if they're comfortable to do so and just kind of showing people in the community there are also queer vintage people so yeah uh, i love that that's great good on you for yeah. doing that yeah uh, let's get let's circle back to uh the nike talk now so okay um do you want to give a brief history in your words of the brand nike like the backstory yeah whatever like where, um, where nike came from and uh, however deep you want to go into it, it's your, your choice. Okay. Um, I mean, so I know Nike originated in Oregon. Um, yeah. I read Shoe Dog, great book. I don't know if that's basic to say, but it was really good. Kind of gave the backstory of how Nike started. And that's, um, Phil, like, that's Phil Knight, right? Yeah. His yeah. Book. Yeah, Phil Knight. Totally. yeah. Okay. It was a really good book. Um, it's just a bunch of stories compiled together. And I, I like reading books like that. So that was good. Um, but yeah, it's like a shoe running brand and it's kind of went beyond that with sports and became more of an athleisure thing at least for other people it wasn't just specific for people who play sports um and that's kind of something that i've always liked about nike and that if you need those essentials you can go to nike turn to nike for that if you need shoes whatever it might be um cleats and then there's this whole I don't know, um, how do I word it? Trend, I guess, of people liking to wear athleisure clothing to look like cool or it's comfortable, whatever it might be, however you want to wear the clothes. Um, so I think for Nike, that's what always drew me to it. And again, like I played sports, so I was using it for a practical reason. And then as I was growing up, you know, I was like, I want to wear the sweatshirts. I want to wear the sweatpants. I want to get the socks. I want to get literally anything that they make I want. Um, and I think the swoosh is just something that 
it hits people. You know, you see the swoosh. It's like the McDonald arches. It's like the Apple for Apple. It's just that one brand. I mean, Adidas does it too, Reebok, whatever it is. But like Nike, that's that is the brand. So that's yeah, totally. There's something about it. You can pretty much go to any corner of the planet, show someone yes. a swoosh, and they're gonna resonate with that. It doesn't matter where you are. The brand has become like world dominating, synonymous with sports totally. and like everything, like you just said. Um, and in my eyes, like they never really faltered much. They, they, they have remained at this pinnacle of cool Yes. through sneakers, through the Jordan stuff, through other, yeah. um, through other athlete sponsorships, through collabs, all these different things they've, do, they've done for years and years and years. And it's like, I feel like a lot of other companies have moments Mm -hmm. And they come up and then they falter. But Nike really doesn't ever falter. It's so powerful. The marketing machine, the branding, all these things about it. It's wild. And, you know, you can see that as like, uh, say, like a a regular citizen who shops for for consumer goods. or And you can definitely see that from a vintage perspective. Because I'm like 20 years in this game, right? And when you look at Nike, I've been selling Nike since day one. Like, right. We were selling, you know, the blue tag, gray tag, all that kind of shit, early Jordan stuff. You know, Jordan ones have been collectible since way before I even started in this business. Right. And it's it's never stopped. And now I have my brand Frankie Collective, which is rework vintage. And that's like seven years deep. And we consistently sell Nike above anything. If we rework Nike, it like goes off. Yep. Um, so it is crazy. And then, you know, when you, you kind of touched on it, but the, the culture of Nike that you're kind of into, or not the culture, but like the, the genre and then like the aesthetic, I guess, like Mm -hmm. explain that and then explain, um, how you describe, how you describe that aesthetic, what do you call it? Like, is it norm core athleisure, whatever you want to say about it, you know? I mean, I feel like people are quick to say like it's like streetwear wear revolving I don't really think it is in its true like definition but like for me I've always loved the 90s and early 2000s era of like big clothing I mean I guess that was more early 2000 like people wearing oversized clothing as like a look like for a specific um aesthetic and so me always liking sweatshirts, always liking hoodies and crew necks, whatever. I knew I could blend my love for the brand of Nike with wanting to tap into vintage and shopping sustainably and, you know, not shopping at these fast fashion companies. And then knowing those two things, plus I'm going to look really cool. At least I think so. So, I mean, for me, there's, I love just putting together a big crew neck, like, XL, double XL, at least for me, big, that's big for me. Um, like baggy cord pants, baggy jeans, some Nikes. I wear Yeezys with my Nikes a lot. I'm going to get hate for it. It's just, <laughs> I don't know. I just put together what I think looks cool. And usually before I pick an outfit, I just like imagine it or see it in my head. And then I produce it. And yeah, I don't know. That's just how I like to go about my aesthetic. Yeah. Um, 
So a couple things, like you mentioned tonal before. Can you describe yes. that for the, the people? Okay, tonal is like, okay, here's the Nike spell, or people are going to hear this. Um, okay, so tonal would be a swoosh, but it has the same color and shade as the body of the sweatshirt. So green tonal would be a green crew neck, and the swoosh is a green that's the same color of the crew neck. Green. And what if it's like a, a, a mismatched green? You still call them that tonal? Um, I probably would still call it the tonal, yeah. Okay. Yeah, if it's slightly off, I would still probably call it tonal. Good things to note. Is there yes. any other, other terminology we need to know here when we're talking <laughs> in this Nike early 2000s, late 90s space? No, I mean, the tags, like calling them silver tags, that's referring to early 2000s, usually white tags, usually people are referring to the 90s. I mean, so, okay, let's... They- Let's be clear on that. So the white tag with the red swoosh, you're talking. That's one of them. Yeah. So I think this is that. Yeah. Okay. So that's well, like, that's well, that one was, version of it. But then there's like that, a more of a paper kind of tag with the red swoosh that's wider, right? Yes. And then there's just the one with just the red swoosh. It only has the red swoosh on it. And I, I'm not, historically, I'm not like the history person of Nike. I don't know everything, but I believe the different tags. I mean, they're different eras. Like they're, one could have been 92, one could have been 95 yeah, totally. within the 90s. We don't worry about exact facts. Yeah. Show. We just talk okay. about shit. Cool. If, we're, if we're wrong, okay. people, people can shit talk us. <laughs> <laughs> so then yeah. you said like the early 2000s, the gray, the gray tag is kind of the one that's like, it can be very long sometimes and it's sewn on all four yeah. sides. It's silver with like a dark gray swoosh or something, right? Yeah, people, the skinny long ones, people call those silver silver bar. Okay, I didn't and even then, know that. Yep, and then like the square one that it's like the same shape and length of your tag. They all call it the silver the silver tag. Because gray tags, people are usually saying OG gray tag is like 80s, early 90s. Yeah, like I, I call that one gray tag. But there was some people back in the day calling that the silver tag. So okay, good to differentiate. So the, it's yeah. the gray. The OG 80s one is, is called the gray tag. The 2000s is the silver tag. Yes. Um, okay, cool. Good it's know. a lot. Yeah, a there, lot it's, of well, information. Yeah, like when you get deeper well the old stuff is easy because it was like uh pinwheel orange swoosh right gray tag, blue tag right and when you get into these like mid to late 90s 2000s like there's many variations of tags right, right. it's like yeah, way so wider like the most i'll get dm'd about is what what tag like what era is this um can you help legit check like just strictly based on the tags so it's like a lot of information and how receptive are you to those DMs? I honestly, I answer every DM I get, but I'm also very calculated. Like, not that I don't want to talk to everyone, but I like have to. Like, I if I see my notifications, I have like let's between five or if I have twenty DMs, I'm gonna go through and answer everybody. Everybody, that's just me. Yeah. Well, uh, it's funny. There's two sides to that. Some people be like, fuck, I'm not price checking this or arrogant. <laughs> fuck that. Yeah. You gotta yeah. do your own research. And then there's people right. like, I'm kind of, most of the time I'll like tell them what's up. But then to be honest, nowadays with the DMs and the price checks, and the, I'll tell someone if I know what error is. Right. But try to come at me for an accurate price in today's market. I'm like, I don't know. Like I right. haven't had that in a year or two. And right. 
How am I supposed to remember what that price is? It changes every right. week. Right. Right. And you Crazy. don't want to mislead that like you could provide a suggestion, a range, and you could be completely wrong by providing that to them and they sell it and they are like, I undersold it. I oversold it. Like I, I made money because you told me that and like all these different things. So the pricing is definitely like the hardest thing to provide. Yeah, it's, it's so tricky. I was, I was actually <laughs> looking through like uh, Chris's stories last night or reels last night. Cause he'll post like highlights of the flea on his thing. Yeah. And I was watching it. And I was like playing a game with myself. I'm like, I wonder if I can guess like roughly how much this shirt sold for. And so many times I was like so far off, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. uh, Cause it is so hard to tell. It's like, yeah. What, what, how are people feeling that day? Who knows? You know, it's exactly. Like, it's wild. Exactly. Okay. So <laughs> Nike, like we said on, on this episode already is like really hitting this pinnacle of hype. It's creating its own sort of subculture within, within the vintage community. Um, we saw like those center swoosh sweats. Uh, I mean, if, People listening to this, they don't know what that is. It's just center swoosh in the middle of the sweat. <laughs> That's another what term. Is, the name is what it is. Just the name is what it is. Yeah. And obviously made famous by Travis Scott. Yes. And that's kind of this question. It's like, you know, I believe you have a part in helping to make this Nike world uh, sort of rise up in what it is today. You know, obviously Travis Scott has an insane role in that. Right. <laughs> any 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 other celebrity that wears Nike, but um, yeah, like how? What is your thoughts on how, where it is now and how far it's come in a short period of time, and like projections on what's going to happen to it in the future? Yeah, I mean, I would say since I started, the hype with center swooshes, which was like. I, I feel like I think that was like 2016 or 17 when Travis Scott wore that I don't even know the year um I'm not that like I know about centers I'm not that big on them personally like I have a few essentials but whatever but from when I started in 2020 the prices for them have skyrocketed and I don't know if that's just because there's more Nike heads coming into the vintage community and they want to showcase what they have they want to you know project projected and portrayed as really cool which i mean cool is subjective to whoever thinks a center swoosh is cool or isn't but the prices and the hype around them have definitely skyrocketed since i started and the biggest thing for me like when i'm talking about vintage nike is that those pieces exist and those prices are going to happen and the thing about vintage Nike is it's so accessible. Like you can find cool pieces, cool, like subjective to cool, whatever. You can find vintage Nike pieces anywhere, like a local thrift store online. You can find them 30, 40 bucks. Like if you just want a simple essential piece, I at least like to tell people that, Hey, if you can't afford these resale prices, like you can go out and get another one that you'll enjoy. You'll wear it, whatever. Yeah. And so the the centers are, you know, they're at the top of the Nike market. I get that. But then there's also so many different variations of pieces within vintage Nike that you can look for and collect and provide or have a desire for. So for me, that was always crewnecks. That's just what I liked. 90s white tag crewnecks. I've just always enjoyed. Um, and yeah, it's so always been. Yeah. No, you're, I mean, yeah, Nike's accessible. Like, it's out there. It's everywhere. You, you, you can't really go to a thrift store without finding some sort of Nike piece. 
100%. You spend a day in the bins, you're going to see a lot of Nike. Right. It's, it's out there and it's everywhere, yet we're seeing these prices go crazy. And I think so much of that is era-based. It's yep. aesthetic-based. It's certain pieces. Even like, can you like, turn, can we see your, I see your rack in the background. Like, is that your like sweatshirt rack? Yeah, these are my personal. Oh, okay. Nice. It's like nicely color coordinated. <laughs> yeah, um, with the rainbow. So, yeah, I mean, it's wild. And even things like the Space Jam stuff was going up yep. crazy. Um, Jordan stuff's going up consistently. And I think certain parts of the Nike wave and um, has, like, really good legs because you're like, this stuff has always been popular. Jordan won. It's like, that's like, you know, you could say the, the Jordan, the 85s were the shoe that started sneaker collecting. Right. It was like, it's like the quintessential sneakerhead right. shoe. And right. that's, uh, that's just the way it is. It started. It. And again, one of the reasons for that is it's wearable because right. when you go into like the, the, I don't know about the twos, but the threes are not wearable. I don't think the twos are, I think the twos had foam and nobody even liked the, the, the yep. two anyway. Nope. Um, so there's all these things about it. And as stuff gets older, it's more collectible because it's always been on a steady, steady rise. It's not like it right. went boom, boom, boom. All right. over the place. It's been consistent. Um, so yeah, back to like what you're about and the sweatshirts and the hoodies and the crew necks. And like, can you speak to what is Garner? Well, can you give a, first of all, like, before we get off the center sweep topic, like, mm. you know, we just saw one sell for like tw- three grand or something, or two. It was like tw- 20, yeah, 24, I think. Okay, 2400. So that's $2,400 for yes. a center shooting. I get them all the time, but I swear they're always dark blue like this. <laughs> they're always yeah, like navy. a navy blue yep. or black, which is better, yep. but still pretty common. You know, right. once in a while, I'll get a red. So right. with all this new world of Nike, it's it's the it's the colors that are making things valuable, correct? Colors in the era, which okay. I think you said. But yeah, like, I'm not going to say rare because I don't know the rare, the true rarity of how many of these were produced. I don't know that. I'll never know that. However... The pieces that don't pop up as often, like any genre and vintage, if you see a piece pop up that like you don't typically see on any day of somebody posting their center solution, the bins that they found, there's usually a desire to buy it, especially if you're really into the brand and you're like, yo, I've never seen this chocolate brown 90s white tag center solution. I've never seen, just because you haven't seen it again, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But I think people seeing different colors rotating rotating in the community and then also on typically speaking when we're talking about people in vintage nike the silver tags so center swooshes it's a lot thinner material so people don't usually don't like those as much as the 90s white tag ones it's the 90s white tags are thicker i think they're better quality and so i and i think they had a lot of nice varying colors in that era so I think that's what it is. However, when you put somebody on the big, like one of the biggest live platforms on Instagram, which would be 1980 something co Chris, and it exposes all these people and they're like, yo, what the hell? I didn't know Nike hit like that. 
it's going to skyrocket in price, at least I think. People are going to bid and they're like, what the fuck? But it's not like it hasn't been happening. Like we've had, we, like we have made Nike Live since I, probably the past eight months, like regularly, maybe once a week selling Nike within just the like other Nike people. I mean, you have random people here and there and pieces are selling for five, $600 and nobody knows about it. So I think that's like the, the biggest thing here that like we have to talk about because so many people ask me about this. But I do think it's because if you put it on the biggest platform, that's going to happen. You know? Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, so. Back to the beginning statement about how Sean, my employee, uh, like told me about you originally because yep. he watched your lives. Sometimes still he'll be like, like, yo, we got a total here. Like, send this to Noodle Drip. Ask her what this is worth. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> this is a sick one. And I'm like, I'm like okay, I'm, I don't even think I've done that. I haven't sent you anything for price. I price. don't think so. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, Sean, relax. It's okay. We don't need to like get 500 for every Nike sweater. That right. Comes um, right. But yeah, you know, like you said about the rarity, obviously the age is important. So those older tags are better. And then you look at, like I've said, the color variance, you know, just looking at it from a, a production standpoint of any brand, it's like when they when they go to a, they sit at a boardroom and they're like, okay, guys, we have to make 10 million hoodies this year. You know, what do we think is going to sell good? They're like, black and red and navy blue is going to sell good. Let's make a few of these browns, a few of these white with the red swoosh, a few of this right. color. So yes, like the rarity is inherent to the amount that was produced, of course, and you don't see them as much, like the olives and all these different colors. Right. They were more rare and they would have just had less in the store. It's like, because right. I, I do the same thing with like my brand. It's like when we, we produce some new clothing and we're like sitting there going like, do we think this print's going to sell better than this plain color? Right. Let's make more of this print, you know? Right. So the colors are more rare, which means they're garnering the heavier prices. Um, yes, totally. Yeah. It's very straightforward. And I think, um, like you said about Chris's live, you put on that platform, it's, it's going to make it grow. Yeah. It's super wearable, which again is like another thing because, you know, these pieces, you can wear every day, you can wear any day, every day. It doesn't right. matter, right? Like you don't want, you're not going to wear a mask, you're not going to wear like a, a mask movie t-shirt. Like, right. I mean, I guess some people would wear that to like a family, yeah. a family yeah. dinner or whatever it is, but like yeah. these things are everyday wear. They're classic. They're subtle. You can put them with sneakers, the colorway, you know, there's all these different options with them. And I think it's like looking like you have a whole rack. You have the rainbow right now, right? Right. I think that's yep. where people are going. They're like, I want it now that I'm like kind of into this. Let me get, yep. let me get all that's the That's what everybody says. That's what everyone says. Once they start buying a few pieces, they're like, I, I'm going for the rainbow. Like I'm going for it. That's what I need. And that's what so many people tell me. And I think it's so fun. Like, I think it's so cool. Like having to go out and find those specific colors you don't have yet and finally getting them. I think it's fun. I don't know. Yeah, totally. Why not? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. Tell us about your boy band collection. Boy collection. band. So you, yeah. you told me that you're into the Backstreet Boys and Hillary Duff, which is not a boy band. Yes. But <laughs> not, not a boy band. No. Um, yeah, so Backstreet Boys, uh, I was born in 96, so my mom was, my brother I think was two, and when I was born, my mom was just always 
the last in the Backstreet Boys. She was probably the OG stan and wanted to put it on me and her kids. And so as like a nostalgic thing, I just always remember listening to Millennium and Black and Blue with my mom and my dad. And it was the first show I went to. I think I was like five. It was the in 2001 Black and Blue World Tour. And so that's a memory that I had. And so I always liked them. I knew I I always liked them. And then when I got into vintage, I was like, yo, I can get old Backstreet Boys tees, which is sick. So one of the first ones I really went after after was one of the Millennium uh, World Tour tees because I have a photo I always remembered. I was wearing one when I was like, I don't know, six or seven. And... I was like, I want to get that one in adult size. So once I got that one, it kind of just started me wanting to collect a lot of them. So I've sold a few since like I started, but I probably have like 30 of them. Wow. As I just love. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, and then Hilary Duff, same thing. I grew up, Hilary Duff was like my idol growing up. Lizzie McGuire, I loved her music. My mom took me, took me to all her shows. And so I try to collect as many of her teas as I can when I can find them in adult sizes. Yeah, true. I've been kind of, I don't really see Hillary Duff teas too often, yeah. but the, a lot of them come like baby doll style or like smaller yes. sizes. And, um, but I've been stashing a lot of that kind of early two thousands pop star genre yeah. and it, but it is selling too. Like I've been selling some here yeah. and there too. Like even like early Taylor Swift stuff, Yes. It's selling well. That. And I'm like, yes. damn, this is awesome, you know? Yeah. A lot of people hate on that when things move. And I'm like, this is great. How can you hate on that? Like now we can find these I things agree. that aren't very old and they're they're moving to someone who loves them. Like, let's go. Right. Um, that time of music was big for a lot of people. Like I love finding like parking lot boots from like 2009, 2008. Like it's not that old, but the graphics are fun. And if it like reminds me of that time, then I'm going to buy it. Yeah, totally. You know, something about like super pop star culture, like yeah, I'm like I'm like very, it like intrigues me. I don't even know how to describe it. Like I'm I'm not infatuated with it, but I want to use that word. But it intrigues me, like when Brit- whole Britney Spears thing back in the day, and like how her whole life evolved, and these people yeah. that like become superstars from such young ages, and like they live different lives than a lot of them. Well, they do live different lives than us. They're like in the limelight, right? their whole right. life and it's just very interesting to me I don't know why. it is I agree no I totally agree um one thing I've got to ask you about the Nike thing is that you know we're oh. talking about these colorways we're talking about um how things are valued and all that but what about you like what do you what's your what are your favorite few pieces that you have or like what is, is there any pieces out there that you're still trying to get colorways that are like eluding you that you can't get or Hmm. Good question. Um, favorite colors that I have are, I love my favorite colors green. So like any shade of green I can get, I'll, I'll pick up and keep. I love like the pistachio color. I don't know if you've heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah. We we had, we had one and that was one of the ones Sean's like, this is the sick one. Dude, I bought one off of Frankie. Oh, you did? I I like maybe like, it might've been that one. It was like a couple months ago. And it was probably like 60 bucks. Yeah, it was like 60, 70 bucks. I yes. like drop it in the chat. I'm like, yo, I got one for the personal. Let's go. Like, yep. So that's so funny too, because like I said, I, well, I've said it on the show already that I, through, through Frankie, my brand, I 
sell a shitload of Nike. And we do like Nike drops. Windbreakers still do great. Sweats do great. Um, small check, crushing it, of course. Yeah. But for the longest time, we just standardized those prices. We'd right. be we'd be like a regular windbreaker is like our right. 60 bucks. If it's like got a wicked big swoosh on the back, we're going like 120, 150. If you know Nike sweats probably for a long period of time were like 50, 60 bucks across the board. And I'm talking right. a year ago, we would have been selling center swooshes for 50, 60 bucks just because we didn't we didn't pull that out as anything that meant anything to us more than more than anything else. And right. which happens to us a lot which I'm fine with. I don't really mind because we're moving bulk. We have, you know, we right. have, and I, I don't need to be like, I got to get top dollar for all these things. Right. But also you have to be so on the pulse with all the different things happening in the markets. But again, the market is so spider webbed right. into different areas. So you're totally. like, I can say that about so many different items that over the years yeah. were like, shit, I sold you that for 50 bucks. I was like a 300, $400 shirt at the time. But, Again, I, I don't have the time or the interest to know everything about everything. Right, you can't. Mark, you can't. It's too yeah. much. It's uh, weird with Nike too because it's it's just. I mean, the T's hit, but uh, it's weird. A whole subcategory or genre is just of sweats, whereas vintage, you know, everybody's looking to buy and sell T's. Totally. And then all of a sudden, like, there's a lot of people that are into sweats, which I feel like just isn't that big of a thing. Like, you have like reverse weaves or whatever the uh russell's like whatever it might be but it's weird that like that all of a sudden everybody's looking to buy all these nike sweats and you just can't predict yeah. it you and know? It's, it's even crazier that a lot of so we probably cut up seven swooshes to make to make like joggy pants and shit when we when before yeah. we even knew so we're like throwing these these, <laughs> these crazy pieces to our cutters and going like make sweats or make a bustier or whatever frankie was making at the time right and that's something that Sean too, because Sean, my employee, who I've mentioned a couple of times, yep. he came through the ranks of my company, started working in my store. He's a fashion grad. So we had him working at Frankie Cutting uh, for us. Okay. And then now he's like basically my assistant helping me with the men's website. But right. when he first came over from the cutting, he's like, dude, you guys are cutting up like all this sick Nike shit. Like what the fuck? And I'm like, that's just what we, that's just what we were doing. So now obviously we pull it out. Um, Cause again, like when I look at reworking, just a side note, here, I look at reworking anything. It's always to add value. I don't need to right. cut. I'm not trying to cut something that takes value away from it. Right. Right. What's, what's the point of it? And that's how I believe the industry should be run. It's like when you're trying to cut something up to make something new out of it, you need to add value to that piece. Right. Right. Give it something new. Yeah. Totally. So, no point in cutting up a thousand dollar hoodie to make no hundred dollar. I don't pants. think so. <laughs> yes. But yeah. Pistachio greens. I really want the pistachio center. One sold last night. I missed it, but I'll find one. Um, I like browns, obviously. I really have been into orange lately too. So any orange crew neck I can pick up early two thousands or nineties, I'll I'll pick up. Yeah. Is there uh you know, you mentioned tonal before basically every colorway came in tonal and, and yeah. when, you, when you talk tonal too, they had tonal from those earlier nineties tags all the way through to the early two thousands tags or was there an no. era that did more tonal? The, the, the like tonal era was the nineties on that tag you're wearing. Okay. Like 
if I see the the color wheel of tonals, it's on those tags from the 90s. Okay, good to know. Yeah. Good fact to yep. know. Yeah, uh, we did have a green one recently on this tag. I remember like a forest green. Okay. Um, so when you good yeah, one. so I guess when you get into the gray tag 2000s, these like when you said you want the olive center swoosh, and that would be with the white check. The pistachio. Oh, pistachio. Sorry, yeah. But olive also would have a white check, and the pistachio and the olive is on the 90s tag. However, there is an olive and like a forest screen on the Y2K silver tag for centers. Okay. There's, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I love, this is the deep <laughs> Nike shit that we want to talk about on this. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, uh, I don't know exactly the ones that sold, I know there's been like three or four, whatever, that sold for like two grand, but one yep. was like a white one that had like yep. a red outline check, right? Yes. Yes. And it was, it was a white check, red outline on a white body. Is that right? It was, it was, um, it's like a beige cream okay. with a red check. And I forget how much that one sold for. I think that might have been the two gram one. I can't remember though. Am I right to say though, there is one with like an embroidery outline check where like it's two, two tone on the check? Oh, is that like the jewel one? Oh, is it a big it, swoosh? It's a puffed. The jewel is like a little puffed check, right? Yes. Is that what you're thinking of? Or are you thinking of the center? I thought it, I thought I saw a center that had like a two-tone embroidered check, just an outline of it. I don't think it was the cream one, but it might be. Yeah. Subtle very I don't know. I yeah. do see those jewel swooshes though. They're like the hard plastic, really like heavy, puffed out um applique type thing yeah yeah i i don't see those ones as as much but i had i had one recently it was only stitched it wasn't i still called it jewel i i mean i never see those ones so i don't know them as well but i had one my homie picked it and he let me buy it and it was ds with tags too it had a bunch of storage stains but it was still a cool one to have yeah i just know the jewel because years ago they did like a jewel cortez i think Maybe like five oh, years ago, they, they re-released okay. the Jewel Cortez, and that was yep. like a big drop. And then I started to see like the pieces with that same applique. Got it. Um, so you mentioned earlier, that, you know, you you were thrifting before you got in the community. What's your sourcing game now? Do you mostly buy through like other IG sellers, other pickers? Do you still hit the thrift? Is there bins in Boston? I, I, I spent a lot of time in Boston when I was younger. Oh, okay. I went to school in Vermont, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I would go there on the nice. weekends and skate and hang out or go to, like, a show Sweet. or something. But, uh, yeah, so what's your kind of go-to for sourcing? Yeah, so I don't thrift as much as I would like to. I don't get the majority of my Nike, at least, from picking myself. Um, I don't really even know the bin situation in Boston. I think it's still, like, not really happening because of COVID. I Don't quote me on that. I don't know. But um, basically, when I started, I was trying to go to the racks every other day, and it was getting way too time-consuming with my full-time job, and I'm working from home, but um, I just was like, I can't leave my computer for two hours and go to the thrift store. Like, I just can't do that. So um, I 
primar primarily source online. So any reselling app you can think of, I try to find the ones people don't know. And usually sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. Um, and I pr when I'm sourcing, I'm primarily buying for me first. And then if it comes in, I'm like, ah, I don't know if I need this one or yeah. I know I have a live coming soon. Maybe I'll run it, whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, I try to, you know, we call it sniping. I'm sure everybody uses that term, but just like trying to find the cheapest item you can. I'm looking online pretty much every half hour, every single day, just trying <laughs> to find new pieces. It's crazy. Yeah. So. So do you ever see yourself going into this world full time? I think about it. Um, I'm definitely not there yet. I've been in it about a year or so. Um, I think I could potentially, but I would need to, me being very OCD needing structure, like I would need to really have a set plan and know what I was doing going into it. I couldn't just drop everything and do what I do every day on a full-time basis because I just... I think financially it could happen, but I think down the line, like if I really wanted to do that and set that goal for myself, I would just need to be there mentally and really plan it out and see what makes the most sense for me. Yeah. Um, it's a good idea. Cause I think a lot of people probably don't think about it from your perspective. They're like, yeah. fuck it. I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> Which, you know, that sometimes brings a lot of success. It just depends, you know? So yeah, totally. Yeah. So did you hear about faded? Uh, you know, Bowie Copeland. I don't know who that is, but I heard about whatever this is. Okay. So uh, <laughs> Bowie Cochmere is a friend of mine. I think it's Rhode Island. He's throwing yes. a vintage event next or spring 2022 called Faded. Yes. Yep. So shout out Faded. Shout out Bowie yeah. Cochmere for fucking Fire. doing an event on the East Coast. It looks like it's going to be a rad event. I'm going to get more details on it. I haven't spoke to him yet. Um, have you done many events or like physical pop-ups or any? I've never done a pop-up like me selling. I've been to a few. Um, I try to go to the local ones here in Mass whenever I can. They're not that like popping in Boston, like in Western Mass and other parts of Mass. There are bigger flea events that happen. Like there's Brimfield that happens. I don't know if you've heard of that. I oh yeah, been. I have, you haven't been, you gotta go to Brimfield. I know, I, want, I really need to go. It was during the week and I was like, shit, I have to take a day off for this. But anyway, um, but yeah, no, I would really like to start going to more. Like I know there's the, the Philly Vintage Fest in at the end of October I would really like to go to just so that I can meet other people. I think that would just be the best way to go about networking, maybe bringing things to trade. I don't know. But down the line, I would like to do like my own pop-up or something like that. Yeah. But I'm just not there. Like I don't have flowing inventory. That's the other thing about me, like about going full-time. I don't have stacks of inventory ready to sell. Like I buy to keep. And then when I have a few every now and then to sell, I will. Or I'll specifically curate to sell for a certain live or whatever it might be. Or a drop, whatever. But yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I think that's rad too. Because when you look at sort of the new wave, you've only been in this a year. You know, you're cultivating quite an audience already. And without the inventory flowing in. I think that's right. smart. It's kind of again back to marketing looking at like content not i hate that word content but like um you know you're giving people value you're helping people other right. people sell their nike shit in turn cultivating your own audience which eventually exactly. will, will be able to substantiate 
when you do have that flowing inventory, if you ever decide right. to have it. So it's a good way of, of going about it versus the opposite where you're like, I got all this shit. How am I going to sell it now? I got to figure that out. Right. Whatever usually happens, like in my case. Right. Back in the day. <laughs> well, you, you seem to, yeah, back in the day, you have it together now. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, I have some quick hits for you. These are okay. just like kind of like quick, little quick questions I put together. And okay. we can discuss, okay? Sweet. Um, okay, we've talked about this a lot, but center swoosh or chest hit? Chest hit all day. Chest hit all day. Now, yeah. to go deep rush, it should have been like, what, is it a chest hit spell out like you're wearing now, or is it just the chest? Mini swoosh. Mini swoosh. The okay. swoosh. The swoosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, dope. Uh, as far as the OG tags go, what do you prefer? Orange swoosh, blue tag, or gray tag? I'm going to say gray tag. I don't have as much of the older stuff. I would like to get my hands on them, but I can't even say the others because I – I don't have as much experience on them. Yeah. Okay. But I do like the grave tag. Uh, this is a question that we haven't touched on. Uh, oh. Bootleg versus authentic. Okay. So what are your thoughts on, cause there's some crazy nineties bootleg Nike. Out there. Yes, there are. So we're talking like authentic night, not to play on word, but authentic boots versus authentic, just Nike pieces. Yes. Yeah. Not like some, something that Nike made. Yes. Versus like somebody who made an interpretation of what they thought yes. Nike should have made. Not yes. like not like a fake Nike, but like a okay. boot. Yes. I I I don't mind them. I like them. I don't think it's lame to like own them or wear them. Like there's crazy prints. Like I love those bootleg polos that exist with like the all over prints. I think those are so sick. Um I like some of the crew necks that are out there as well, but I don't specifically look to get them. But I don't yeah. like bash on them by any means. Okay, cool. Do people yeah. ever bring those on your lives to sell, or are you yeah. mostly do? They do. Okay. Yeah, people will, and um, people know their boots, and they're not like, "Oh, that's fake." Like we make sure to differentiate. Like this is an authentic bootleg from this time period, whatever it is, and people tend to still to still like them. They still do well. So. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Like there's. There's obviously le levels and layers to it. Those very wild ones, like Canal Street vibes, that like Supreme recently copied and did a whole like like mm -hmm. two seasons ago. They they were kind of making vibes similar. Yep. And then you have like a lot of crewnecks that were fake but bootleg. I don't know. They're yes. in like layer where it's like big embroideries, kind of cheap yes. embroideries, but still funky or like the yes. fake Jordan embroidery where he's like yep. weird stick figure. <laughs> yeah, those are still kind of dope. And, They're sick. Uh, yeah, they, they, they still sell really well, too. So Yeah, totally. Okay, random one. Andre Agassi or John McEnroe? Do you know these two men? No. I'm going <laughs> to get roasted for it. I don't okay. know who they are. That's fine. Exactly. <laughs> these are, uh, you said you I, I, I saw, what before, I did some research on you. I saw that you, you had said you were an athlete. I didn't know what sport. These are tennis players. Okay. Oh, these I'm are both like OG eighties, nineties, like, uh, tennis players that, that both, uh, had crazy Nike, um, sponsorships. So, okay. Agassi, Agassi was actually a wild dude. He had like a huge long mullet and he was like his, his, his collabs with Nike were more like bright pinks and wild splatter colors and like, 
when you okay. look back from like that gray tag era. And then yep. McEnroe was again a little bit more like tennis subdued. He had like this cool checkerboard print collab with Nike. It's cool shit. Check it out. Maybe you... maybe I would know if I looked it up, but I cannot yeah. guarantee. Uh, okay, well this is the good this is the good one. Um, okay. What's your favorite sneaker of all time? And what is your favorite sneaker of the moment? Whoa. Okay. Favorite sneaker of all time is probably I don't okay, I don't wear them anymore, but a, a shoe I really like and used to like a lot a lot was Air Max 95s. Like I would try to buy any color I could. Like I love I love neutral colors, so I loved like that ice white colorway that there was. I think one of them had a blue swoosh, I don't know. I wore those a lot in college. So I feel like for a staple shoe, that would probably be my pick. Air Max 95. Yes, but my shoe of the choice now, I wear the Yeezy 700 analogs. That's just what I wear. I mix and match. People hate me for it. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> okay. That's cool. That's, that's what I do. That's always been the debate. Uh, Adidas, yes. Nike wearing in the same outfit i just they're comfortable (laughs) and there's no crazy adidas hit on them everybody knows they're easies but whatever and i like the the two-tone beige creams just what i like are they like the chunkier one i don't even know yes you have them they're handy yeah honestly i could be wrong about the number i think these are like the you know the wave runners oh yeah yeah totally that was like but, when uh, the movement into like a heavy dad shoe kind of. Yes. Yeah. I just think they're comfy and cool and go with everything. And it's not very Adidas forward at all. Which no. not, none of the Yeezys are really Adidas forward. No. So. no. Uh, okay, sweet. Well, do you have a challenge today for the listeners? Yes. So a challenge I would say to the listeners would be whether you're in vintage or not, you can generalize this to anything, whatever your life situation is. I think that we should just, as a whole, reach out to more people. So example, on Instagram, if somebody new follows me or I've been following someone and they eventually follow me back and I notice, I'm going to reach out and shoot them a DM. Like it doesn't hurt. Just introduce yourself formally. Say whatever you want to say. Like ask them how they are. I don't know. Give them a compliment, whatever it might be. I think it's just a really good way to go about building relationships and continuing that cycle of success and strength in your communication skills, because you never know, like it could change somebody's day just by reaching out and saying whatever you want to say, just saying hello. And so I definitely try to do that in my day to day. Or if somebody new follows me, if so, I meet somebody new, like I make a note to reach out to them. So I think sometimes we're too, kept to ourselves and it's like oh i don't really know them so why would i say anything to them but i mean they're a person we're all people just reach out to more people totally i think that's awesome yeah you know and it's kind of goes obviously like you said back to communication skills about being more open you know Mm -hmm. you never know who that person is and something, something my dad's best friend said to me once was kind of like his life motto was when you're in an elevator like talk to the people in the elevator yeah. Like you could be in the elevator with the guy 
who's going to like change your life or the woman who's going to change your life or or your future partner or whatever. It's like, why would you let that opportunity go by when they're right there? You have no idea. So same thing, like you're saying, hit the, hit them in the DM, introduce yourself. And it also kind of plays into, um, you know, I said this probably on a hundred episodes, but you know, being face forward in your brand. If you're if you're doing this as a job, you want to you know you want to be face forward. You want people to know who you are. They buy right. into you as a person, not so much like you as a brand. Exactly. And all the, the most successful brands nowadays are mostly personal brands, right? And you want to. They might have just followed you because you posted a shoe or you posted a cool right. T-shirt. They don't know anything about you. Right. And, and we all assume that people are following us. They're like, they know all about me. I've talked about that right. before, but they might've just followed you and they didn't go back to last year's post. Exactly. So introduce yourself, tell them what you're up to, who you are and learn what they're yep. up to. What's the harm in doing that? You know, that's just how I think. That's why I reached out to you after hearing the Juna podcast, because I was like, I want to let you know how I thought about it. And here we are. Here we are. See? Here we are. Ah, see, that's, that, that's kismet shit. And that is like, okay. that's how it works, people. Yep. Um, you never know. Now now we're friends. When I come to Boston, I'm totally going to call you. We're going to hang Hell out. yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> totally. Wow. Uh, that's so rad. So, okay. Well, that's a great place to, to end. Is there yeah. anything else you want to talk about? Do you have any shout outs? Anybody in the community you want to like shed light on? This is your your open time to kind of. Oh, I should have thought about this before, but I guess it's better being asked on the whim. Um, sheesh. I mean, people. Somebody I talked to that a lot of people might not know. Um, his account is at fru.ware. He's like one of my homies in the community, like one of my best friends. He hit me up randomly in the DMs like over a year ago, just introducing himself. He does a lot of tie work. And he was like, if you're selling cheap blanks, like, let me know. I would love to do dye work on them, whatever. And since then, we've just been like this. Like, we've met up. We met up for the first time this past summer. And he has a lot of cool pieces. He collects a lot of band tees. He does a lot of Nike. Um, and, yeah, he's, like, one of my homies. So I'm definitely going to shout him out for where his name's for George. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I don't know. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Brewer. I'm going to check him out. Uh, I don't think I. He's oh. the man. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. He's cool. He's cool. Um, Nicole. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hell yeah. Uh, thank that you, was Drew. rad. That was yeah. totally rad. And uh, good luck with everything. And we'll be in touch. Thank you. Totally. Let me know when you're in town, please. I'm in my house too much. Let me know. It would be a fun time. We'll get lunch. Hell yeah. Sounds right. good. All right. Thanks, All right. Drew. Have a good Talk weekend. Thanks, Nicole, for coming on. And shout out com. Link down below. Get 40% off with code VTG and stuff. Also shout out Bidstitch. Go check out Bidstitch. Go check out the Bidstitch news uh, feed, guys. We're posting about all things news and vintage worthy vintage worthy news all things go on the bid stitch feed if you have something you want us to write about cover on the bid stitch news hit us up we're happy to do it if you want to sell your products with no commission fees go on there if you want to find crazy shit to buy for your own personal wardrobe go on there all those reasons go check out bid stitch if you want to support this show 
Patreon down below. That's it. Enjoy your life. Be happy, not crappy. In the words of Mr. Dave Heifetz, see you on the next one.